Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. And, uh, man, some great truth we were singing this morning, huh? That uh, sometimes we tend to take for granted and it gets a little routine. I know Sundays can be that way, like we just come because it's Sunday. And I, I hope it's more than that for you. Uh, I, that's the desire of my heart as well for me. But last week we began a study of uh, the mission of the church and the strategy necessary to accomplish that mission. And uh, we're calling this series, uh, What's a Church to Do? And as we look through what we have put together a number of years ago as our mission and the strategy that we're going to use, uh, we looked at that last week and said, all right, Matthew chapter 28, that's where the mission of the church for all churches Folks, sometimes mission gets real confusing, and we tend to think that every church can have their own mission. Not so. There's one mission. There's a mission. God gives it to us in his word, and every church has the same mission. Now, we may word it differently. It may sound a little different, but bottom line, it is right out of Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 to 20, and I just wanted to review that for you. Then Jesus came to them. Now, this is after the resurrection. Sometime, week or two, not really sure. We don't know. Bible doesn't say. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he said to the disciples, and probably the 11 and more, maybe just the 120 or that were in the upper room in Acts 1. It might have been the 500 that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to up to 500 at one time, witnesses. I, we don't know, but here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God authenticated, vindicated Jesus and his ministry and gave him that authority. Why? Because he was the Son of God. He was the Savior. He died, was buried, and rose again. All authority. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's interesting. Matthew begins with God with us, Emmanuel, ends with, right? And surely I am with you always. And as we think of the Great Commission, I hope you never forget that he is with us. Uh, it might be worded another way. It came across in my study this week. I thought a great summation of what it means, of what the mission of the church is. Uh, and it is this. The mission of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel, and I want you to remember the gospel, we're going to come back to that, of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches. Or a little more specific, and I got this from uh, uh, DeYoung and Gilbert in their book, What is the Mission of the Church? And they say this, we go, we proclaim, we baptize, and we teach all to the end of making lifelong, die-hard disciples. I love that. Lifelong, die-hard disciples. And then as it ends, 
disciples of Jesus Christ to obey everything he commanded. That is the mission of heritage. Now, we say it like this. It's a little different, obviously, but it's right out of Matthew 28. We exist to make more people more like Jesus. And we're going to be unwrapping that over the course of the next number of weeks as we talk about mission and the strategy. But uh, we exist to make more people more like Jesus. Now, that may be uh, the first time you've heard why uh, we as a church exist. Or it may be a very familiar sounding thing to you. We exist to make more people more like Jesus. No matter how many times you've heard it, however, I understand because sometimes I feel the same way. I recognize that it may sound difficult to do. It may even sound impossible to carry out. Uh, I don't know. I know some of you will. Back in 1966, the show, the TV show, Mission Impossible began, right? Mission Impossible. And, and it was this great dramatic opening with this little cassette, not even a cassette, excuse me, reel-to-reel tape recorder. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and, and uh, good morning, Mr. Phelps, your mission should you decide to accept it, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and I've often thought of that as it relates to the church. Good morning, disciples. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, we really don't have a choice whether or not we accept it. It's been given to us. And uh, as we think of that, I realize the mission that Jesus gave to the church may sound ridiculously difficult. Some of the missions that the mission impossible team were given sounded like there's no way you're going to do this in 60 minutes, Right? But, but that's, and it may feel like there's no way we as a church could ever make disciples of all nations. God doesn't expect us to save the world. He doesn't say go out and evangelize the world. He says make disciples, make more people more like Jesus. And it may sound impossible, but I have to say to you this morning, God never has ever given us a task to do without also giving us the ability, the power, the necessary means to accomplish that task. And that's not just some spiritual cliche that I say this morning. We, all, we, we would say that, certainly. You're, you're saying, oh yeah, that's absolutely correct. God doesn't give us anything that we can't that we can't do. He's not going to give us a task that we can't accomplish. He's going to provide all that we need. Yeah, I get that. But folks, sometimes we don't really believe that because we're not about making disciples. And we looked last week at the authority. We just re reminded you of it in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. All authority is given to me and he gives that authority to us. We looked at his power you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1.8. And you'll be witnesses. And in that power of the Spirit, we witness and we tell the truth. And so this morning, I need to ask you the question, and we're going to answer it. What about the gospel? What about the gospel? What do we mean when we talk about the gospel? The gospel is critical to making disciples. We cannot make disciples if we don't have the gospel, if we don't get the gospel, if we don't use the gospel. The gospel is critical to the mission of this church. 
The gospel is critical to our making disciples of all nations. And so I want you to know that you can, you can make disciples by grasping three truths about the gospel. And I want to share those with you this morning. So would you open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at the first five verses. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, you'd like to have one underneath the chair, somewhere close at hand in front of you should be a Bible in that Bible, page 801. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 5, in our Bible, page 801. And as we look at these three truths, truth number one is found right there in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's simply, we must know what it is. We must know what the gospel is. Now you say, that sounds very basic, I mean... I don't, please folks, I'm not in any way trying to insult anybody's intelligence here by repeating for you what the gospel is, but sometimes it gets very confusing. People add stuff to the gospel. You've heard of the prosperity gospel. Some people think, oh, that's well and good. That's added a whole big chunk of works-based stuff. God's got to do this. The prosperity gospel is not the gospel. And so as we look at it this morning, what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Follow along with me, please. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. There it is. Of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now he's talking about the gospel. He's saying, I I gave you the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. That's what I'm doing this morning. Reminding you of the gospel. It is the gospel, he says there, that you are saved. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you. He's given us the gospel. What I received, the gospel, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Now, the gospel. As we look at those verses, the gospel it is, we're told, that brings salvation by this gospel you are saved now in verses three four and five there are two essential historical facts necessary absolutely essential to the gospel absolutely essential to our salvation then there are also two confirming historical facts that are important they're not essential to our salvation but they confirm the two essential historical facts Not just some mythical thing, not just some churchy religious thing. We're talking historical facts. Historical fact number one, Paul says Christ died. That happened, folks. There's all kinds of historical evidence. Jesus Christ died. All the evidence we need is that it's right here in the Bible. Paul said Christ died. That's an essential historical fact. Essential to our salvation. If Jesus Christ had not died, we could not be saved. Our sin could not be forgiven. We could not stand before a holy God 
because he's totally, completely holy, without sin. We are full of sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And, and then he goes on. He was buried. That's one of the confirming historical truths. He was buried. We know that, right? Uh, the Roman soldiers placed a seal on it. They guarded the tomb. Didn't do any good, right? We'll get to that in a minute. But we're told that he died, Christ died, the essential historical truth. And he was buried. It, why? Why is that important? Confirmed he was dead, right? You don't bury live people. That's why we're told. Now, you say, what's the difference between essential and confirming? Well, if Jesus, it doesn't matter that Jesus was buried in a sense. Understand, I'm, I'm, that's what Scripture says. But it confirms that he died. He had to die. That's what matters. That's all that matters. But he was buried. That confirms that we know he, was, he died for us. Secondly, we're told that Christ was raised, right? There it is. Uh, verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's an essential historical fact to our salvation. If Jesus Christ, we said this last week, had not been raised from the dead, we, we would not be here today. There'd be no point. We, we wouldn't be reading this Bible. We wouldn't be talking about what it says. It wouldn't matter. Why? Because Christ would still be in the tomb or wherever, and if he didn't rise from the dead... None of what he said would matter because he would be like any other self-proclaimed Messiah who said, oh, I'll save you, just believe in me. Jesus said, I'll save you, believe in me, i die for you, and I'm going to rise from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, it wouldn't have mattered. And then the confirming truth, historical fact, he appeared to Cephas, Peter. That's, that's the name for Peter, Cephas. He appeared to Cephas and the twelve. In other words, what's confirming about that? There were witnesses. It's not just some deep, dark secret that Christ rose from the dead, but don't tell anybody. Right? No. We're told that he was raised from the dead, and we're told there that he, what, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and you could go on to the rest of chapter 5 and see he appeared to a whole bunch of people, up to 500 people at one time. People saw the resurrected Jesus that proves he rose from the dead. It wasn't just some figment of somebody's imagination. We need to understand that's the gospel, that Christ died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead and appeared to people. He died for us and rose from the dead, proving he was the son of God know what the gospel is we'll continue to talk about that but secondly know why we need it know why we need the gospel not just knowing what the gospel is but why do we need the gospel well let me go back to verse three because you may feel like glenn you just skipped over a pretty important part of the whole gospel in verse three this is what paul says for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that christ died i read that but why for our sins. You see, our sin has separated us from God. Every one of us are born sinners. 
Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, have come short of the standard that's necessary to have a relationship with God. God can't have anything to do with it because of our sin. The wages, the penalty for that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's why. Now, Paul says it in a little bit differently elsewhere in Acts chapter 26. This is a great passage. I've got it on the screen, or you can find it in your Bibles. But Paul was standing before King Agrippa. He was, in a sense, on trial for some things. And, and whether or not he would be sent to Rome, uh, you know, Paul didn't do anything wrong, but he's standing before King Agrippa telling what happened to him, why his life was changed. In verse 20, uh, verse 16 through 18 of Acts chapter 26, this is what we read. And, and this is Jesus talking to Paul. You see, Paul is telling King Agrippa what he had seen and what he had heard and what he had experienced and what had happened to him. He's telling him about his salvation and what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And, and then Jesus, he, he, he refers or, or, or reviews for um, King Agrippa what Jesus told him. And he says this, Jesus said, now get up, verse 16, Acts 26, and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you, Paul, he's talking, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue. We just sang about being rescued. He says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Who? He, Jesus is sending Paul to the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews are his people. Paul was a Jew. Sending them to the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. What's the darkness? Sin. Death. That's why Jesus saved Paul and sent him out to proclaim the gospel. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. You see, we're born in sin we are dead and don't know it without Jesus. We are on our way to hell. We are in the darkness of evil. We are under the power of Satan. That's why Jesus died. He says to turn them from the power of Satan to God. Why? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Boy, you want a clearer picture as to why we need the gospel. There it is right there. Because we need our eyes open to our sin, to our death. We need our eyes open to turn us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins. Without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. You know what? There could be people sitting here today who would, by all appearances, other people would think, oh yeah, they're a believer. They know Jesus. Yeah, they're here every week. But saying that and actually have it, having, happened, having had it happen to you, two different things. 
There are a lot of people who claim to be saved who don't know Jesus because they've never, never been turned from darkness to light or from the power of Satan to God. They've never received the forgiveness of sin. Oh, they may go through a lot of good deeds, good works, look good, talk good, sound good, all of that, but have never been turned from Satan to God because they never believed Receive the gospel. We need the gospel because of our sin. Jesus died in our place for our sin. And God the Father authenticated all that Jesus did and said by raising him from the dead. We got to know why we need the gospel. Thirdly, we have to know how it works. Say, well, how it works? How does the gospel work? We've got to know how to make the gospel ours. If we're going to fulfill the mission, if we're going to tell others, if we're going to declare, if we're going to go and make disciples and baptize and teach to obey, we have to first have experienced it. We have first had to believe. We have first have to receive the gospel. Make it yours. Secondly, we need to know how to proclaim it to others who need it. We talked about that last week. I'm sure that everyone here today who knows Jesus knows at least one person who needs the gospel, who doesn't know Jesus. They need their sin forgiven. They need to be declared righteous before God, and it's only Jesus that can do that by the forgiving of their, forgiveness of their sins. They need to have their lives transformed. They need to be turned from darkness to light. They need to be made alive when they're dead. Romans chapter 1. Now, you can leave 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verses 14 to 17 are some of the most amazing, powerful gospel truths that we find in, in the Bible, but certainly the book of Romans. In fact, many would say that this would be the theme of the book of Romans. Of the 16th, this is the theme. This is what it's about. And here's what Paul says. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. That's Jews and Gentiles. All right? Greeks and non-Greeks. Both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul's saying, I'm obligated to everybody to preach the gospel. He, he feels the obligation. It's necessary. He feels that. He says, I'm obligated to preach the gospel. 4, verse 16, here it is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There it is again, everybody. The universal coverage of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So how does the gospel work? How does it work? Here's how it works. The gospel is the power of God. The power of God. 
He says, don't be ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed. If you're ashamed of something, you don't talk about it, right? I'm trying to avoid saying anything about a football game last night. (laughs) But if my team had lost, I wouldn't be saying anything, correct? I might feel ashamed, right? But when you are convinced of something, you're not ashamed to tell anybody, right? It's like I, I remember when, when Jane and I got engaged. You tell everybody. Why? Because I was, I was proud that God had given me a woman like her. I'm like, woohoo! Hey, tell the world, right? You ever gotten a new car? And you want to show everybody, tell everybody? You're not ashamed of that, right? You want to look what I got. Oh, and by the way, I got a really good deal. Have you ever heard anybody bought a new car and didn't get a good deal? They don't exist, right? We are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it works. Because it's the power of God. Listen, the gospel is God's power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I don't make people believe. I can't make people believe. You can't make anyone believe. We declare the gospel. We give the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. It is not my nice, fancy, articulate words, right? It is not me that makes the difference. It is not you that makes the difference. And when we're sharing the gospel with people, have you ever felt at times, I got to do it just right? Maybe like, okay, I'm in, I'm in the gym, and, and I want to talk to people as I get to know people, and I want to be able to somewhere along the line share. Man, if I don't have the right gym shorts, and if I don't have the right sneakers, if I, you know, if I don't have the right shirt, if I don't look good, if I don't have the right ear pods when I'm on the treadmill or in the elliptical, you know, somebody might think something less of me, and they'd never get saved if I didn't look the part of the cool gym rat, right? Or my neighbor, if, if they're going to get saved, I, I can't just have some old piece of junk lawnmower when I'm out fr- cutting my grass, right? It's got to be the newest, the best, the brightest, the cleanest, so that they think, wow, look at that guy's lawnmower. Man, I, I'm going to listen to him when he gives me the gospel. So, right, we laugh, but folks, I could go on and on and on about those kinds of illustrations, We tend to think that we have to be just right. We have to have the exact words. If we don't, people won't get saved. No. It is the gospel that is the power of God. He doesn't need our help. All he needs is that we proclaim the truth. We declare the gospel. It's not about us being more persuasive more convincing on, and I ask this question, on whom or what are you relying when you share the gospel? Who do you depend on when you share the gospel? You? Your words? Your coolness? Your relevance? 
your being with it or the power of God, the gospel. So critical that we get that. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the way the gospel works is when we declare it, when we give it out, when we tell it, when we make it known, people believe. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's how the gospel works. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess, that you declare your faith and are saved. Amen. When we believe, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, when he died for us in our place, for our sins, shed his blood, he was buried and rose again, proving he was who he said he was, did what he said he would do. We believe that, and we are forgiven. Our sins are gone. We are saved. We become a child of God. That's the gospel, folks. It's not my job to get people saved. It's not my job to convince people to believe. It's not your job to convince people to believe. It's our job to declare the gospel and let the power of the gospel do its work when people believe. Is that good news? You see, it's not up to us. All we have to do is be, it's just like at a restaurant. If I'm your, you know, the waiter or waitress, you brings your food, right? They just bring it. They set it down. They're not responsible for you eating it or for what it tastes like. That's the, the chef, right? They just serve it. We just serve the gospel. And people believe and receive. So now what? Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I mentioned that earlier. And it was put together to stand against abortion to celebrate life and to declare the giver of life, our God. Came across these stats. Uh, there are 25,000 or 2,548 abortions a day. This is, this is established by um, the Guttmacher Institute. Second organization that they are the official research arm of Planned Parenthood. So these aren't skewed numbers. 2,500 abortions a day. That amounts to about 106 abortions every hour. And that's a shame. The thing that I get concerned about most when I hear about abortion and, and stand for abortion, the truth or against abortion is, is the, the women having the abortions. I believe those aborted babies are going to be in heaven. 
but the women who are murdering that child. And, and, and you may not stand there. I don't want you to be offended, but I don't know how else to say it. It's harsh. But can I say to you this morning that the best way to stop abortion is to make disciples? You, you, you understand that? The best way to stop abortion is to make disciples because only when an individual's heart is changed and transformed, only when they're moved from darkness to light, only when they're moved from death to life will they ever understand the sanctity of the life that God has given to them. And we need to be concerned about people who need Jesus. We need to be about making disciples. So let me ask you as we close, how are you making lifelong, diehard disciples of Jesus Christ? How are you? I didn't say are you, because yes and no questions. Eh? No, how are you doing that? Are you going? Are you proclaiming? We talked about that last week. Are you baptizing? Are you teaching to obey? What are you doing to help more people become more like Jesus? Paul says it this way. We quoted, we read through Romans 10, 9 and 10. Keep going in that text, and you can check it out later, but we get down to verse 13, and Paul says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not talking about pray this prayer after me kind of thing. No, no, no. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now follow me. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? There it is. It's not just to pray this prayer. It's belief. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? We've been sent by God. Amen. That's our mission. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's the gospel, folks. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We declare the gospel Amen. and let the Spirit of God stir the heart of a person who has sin and needs to be forgiven of that sin. The Spirit of God will bring that conviction as we declare the gospel, the power of God to salvation to those who will believe. That's it. Huh? Amen? Amen? Father, thank you for Jesus. What an amazingly powerful truth you've given to us, the gospel. That Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried. 
and that he was raised three days later according to the scripture. And he appeared to Peter and the twelve. Oh God. If there's any here today who are still in their sin, who are living in darkness, who are still under the power of Satan, I pray that the gospel would grip their hearts, that they would see their sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be forgiven and saved for the glory of God. And Lord, for us who know Jesus, who have been saved, who have been forgiven, who know you, God, help us to proclaim the gospel. For it's in Christ's name I pray.